I'm going to be reading from the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, uh, from chapter 17, and from 2 Chronicles, chapter 6. So you might want to get, the, get your place there. I, I would invite you to read along with me. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. And it came about when David dwelt in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I am dwelling in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is in a tent, is under curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. And it came about the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus says the Lord, you shall not build a house for me to dwell in. Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And this is the occasion of the dedication of this temple that David wanted to build. And Solomon, his son, was indeed the one who built it. And they've just finished, they, they finished the building and they're having the dedication. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have built thee a lofty house and a place for thy dwelling forever. Then the king faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hands, saying, since the day that I brought my people from the land of Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man for a leader over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. And I've chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son shall, who shall be born to you, he shall build the house for my name. Now put, turn back to that first Chronicles passage because we're going to read from there in just a moment. There have been few table games that, that have caught the imagination and the, the buying power of the American public in the last four or five decades, like the little game Trivia Pursuit. You know how that game was invented. There were three couples together and they were just kind of having a little fellowship in one of the couple's house. And, and, and they decided they want to play Scrabble and so they started looking for the Scrabble game and couldn't find it. So those three guys sat down and in 45 minutes had invented Trivia Pursuit. And they, per they perfected that game and got it on the market and the sales of that booger just skyrocketed and they became millionaires. And somebody asked one of those guys, you know, uh, what, what do you think caused the people, uh, American people to buy that game? I mean, just why were the sales so big? And I like this philosophical answer the guy gave. He said, well, he said, what they were doing was simply buying some memories. 
He said, for after all, that's all you can buy with your money. It's just some memories. I got some memories I'd like to sell. As a matter of fact, I've got some memories I'd like to give away. Memories do strange things. Memories bless and some curse. You remember that story Jesus told about that's recorded in the 16th chapter of Luke about the man who lived flamboyantly and selfishly and, and Lazarus the beggar was laid at his gate full of sores begging for his crumbs. And Jesus said that the rich man died and was buried and Lazarus was carried, he died and was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes and he begged Abraham, said, send Lazarus with a little water on the tip of his finger so that he can cool my parched tongue. And Abraham said, son, remember. That Lazarus, that the rich, that, that Lazarus in his lifetime received bad things and you good things, and now you're being, that he's being comforted and you're, uh, you're being in agony and he's in comfort. And I'm not sure exactly what all those agonies were, and I never will, thank God for that. But I have a strong feeling that that man's memories were more painful than those flames. We all have painful memories. Sometimes I, I catch my mind headed on a track that I know is going to wind up in some painful memory, and I'll work my, you know, I'll work work at it to get my mind on something else. You, you ever do that? And, and sometimes I'll be watching a television program, and I know that if I keep watching that program, it's going to wind up in some painful memory for me. So I'll get up and change the channel. And I have a feeling that one of the great hindrances to the maturity of the Christian faith are all these painful memories that we can't forget. We can forget all the good things that happened to us, and we do, but we can't forget the bad things. I know all of them. And I've probably forgotten 90% of all the compliments ever paid me. But I'll tell you what, I remember every insult. And if you want to make a lasting impression on me, you come up after this service this morning and tell me how lousy this sermon is, and I'll never forget you. <laughs> and I have a good, I have a strong suspicion that one of the keys to the maturing in the Christian faith is knowing how, knowing what to remember when you can't forget. You know how it is, don't you, when you go to pray and you're in your closet and you're trying to get before God and all of a sudden all these old bad memories just kind of start seeping under the door of your prayer closet like some choking fog. And before you get to God, all these old painful memories come crowding in. I want you to pick up this scene with me today. David's in his mansion. I, I imagine it's some kind of a palatial house mansion. He said it, had, it was made of cedar. And he's talking to Nathan the prophet and he's saying, you know, I just don't think it's right that I'm dwelling in a house and God's living in a tent. What he's talking about, of course, is the Ark of the Covenant where the Shekinah of God dwelt in that portable church they carried around. He said, I don't think it's fair for me to live in this house. God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said, that sounds like a good idea, man. Build him a house. Go for it. But then that night God came to Nathan and said, no, that's wrong. You tell David he's not to build me a house. And the tense of the verb means that suggests that David had this as a 
is a daily dream. I'm telling you, all he could think about was building this house for God. When he went to bed at night, he dreamed about it. It's all he thought about in the daytime. He said, one of these days, I'm going to build me a house, build a house for God, a monument to him. And then God said, no, you can't. And he couldn't forget that. So every time he prayed, that old bad memory came, that failure came. And so what this text is about is about knowing what to remember when you can't forget. First of all, you need to remember that a good idea is not necessarily a godly idea. Now, what's wrong with this idea to build God a house? Nothing wrong with that. It's a great idea. I mean, it had the right kind of motivation. David, all David wanted to do was build something to the glory of God, something people would see and glorify God because of it. And David had an idea, I think, that if he built this great temple, it would unify a divided nation. And I tell you, anything that can cause God's people to forget what divides them has to be a good idea. And besides all that, he had prophetic sanction. He had been praying about this and thinking about this for years. And, and he just knew it had to be God's idea. God had to be in this, but he's going to bounce it off some spiritual man. Nathan's the most spiritual man in the kingdom. He's the prophet that told David of his sins. And you've done this, haven't you? You, 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 just, you just knew something had to be the right thing. It's just a great idea. It has to be of God, but you want to bounce it off some spiritual person, see if he thinks it's a good idea. I've done that all the time. I do it every week. And so he comes to David and he says, it comes to Nathan, he says, Nathan, what do you think of this? And Nathan says, hey, that's great, do it. But that night God came to Nathan and said, boy, you shot from the hip there, boy. That's the wrong thing. Good idea, but not my idea. You go back and you tell David that's not for him to do. You know, sometimes it's difficult for us to discern the will of God because it's hard for us to be objective. And I know sometimes we enter into these projects and we just know that this is of God and it's a good idea, it's a great idea. The only problem is it's not God's idea. I heard Ron Dunn tell about the time he was preaching in Atlanta and he, he said at the end of the service, this guy came forward and he said, I, I'd like to say something to these people. And the guy said, 17 years ago, he said, my wife and I came into a large amount of money, an inheritance. He said it was a tremendous inheritance. And he said, we were fixed for life. But he said, we want to take that money and invest it in some way where we could get some kind of a return that would help us to you know, use it in God's kingdom and have a good retirement so we could serve the Lord. And he said, we prayed about what we were to do that money. He said, it wasn't long until three guys showed up. These guys were Christians. They were from our church. And he said, they, they began to tell us about some investments that they were involved in and encouraged us. He said, it sounded great. He said, it just kind of sounded like what we wanted to do all along. He said, so we gave them all of our money and they lost every penny of it. He said, it wasn't nothing but a bunch of con men. And he said, I told my wife, he said, I'll never pray again. I'll never pray to God again. He said, I told my wife, I'd never go back to church again. And he said, this is the first time in 17 years I've been to church. Now, why does something like that happen? I, I don't really know. There are a lot of things I don't know. 
God's bigger than my theology. And there are a lot of things that happen I don't understand. But I do know this, that sometimes when we enter into these projects, we just know they're from God. That's such a good, that's such a great idea. It just has to be from God. When, it's, when it doesn't turn out that way, we blame Him for it. And I know some people today who are bitter because of some unanswered prayer for healing. I, I think if I were God, I'd heal her today. That sound like a, doesn't that sound like a good idea to you? And I want to promise you that sometimes when I almost get bitter over that, if I were God, I'd heal her today, you see. Sound like a great idea. It's just not God's idea to do that today. And I think we need to understand that even though, you know, just because it was David's failure doesn't mean it's God's failure. David's not going to build this temple, but that doesn't mean the temple's not going to get built. Just, just because Moses didn't lead his people in the promised land didn't mean they didn't get there. I mean, he had, jo he had Joshua waiting in the wings. And that's what the 11th chapter of the book of Romans is about. And Paul said, God had this dream, this desire, this purpose for the Jews as a nation. And they defeated that purpose. They, they, reje they rejected, they rebelled against God's purpose revealed in Christ Jesus. Does that mean that the, co the covenants made null and void? No, he said, God just grafted in the Gentiles to get that done. It just may be that it's a good idea, it's just not God's idea. In fact, he told David later, he said, the reason why you can't build my temple is because you got blood on your hands. Now, he wasn't talking about the fact that some suggest, I don't think. It's my opinion, an accurate one. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't saying that, that, that he wasn't going to let David build the temple because he was responsible for Uriah's death and therefore a murderer. He was saying, I'm not going to let you build this temple because you're a battler. You're a, you're a warrior king. I got warrior kings who battle and I got other kinds of kings who build and, and it's just not my plan for you to build this temple. It's a good idea, it's just not mine. Second, we need to remember that, that God doesn't measure us or judge us by the accomplishment of our hands. He judges us by the ambition of our heart. Now, I love verse 8 of 1 Chronicles 16. It says, Now, David, you had it in your heart, and that's where I judged you. You did well because you had it in your heart. Now, watch this. Jesus is the only Lord I know about in this earth who pays as much for the intention as he does for the action. Man, isn't that amazing? Isn't that true with regard to sin? Jesus said, you say, the law says, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you that if you have hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. I mean, he pays the same for in the intention is the action. It's the same way with righteousness. The Lord pays as much for the intention as he does for the action. You better hope he does. Because I have a desire to be more than I am. I, I promise you, that I, my intention is to be better than I am. You may not think that, but it's true. I mean, I have a, I have a, my, my purpose is to be a better person than I am. Somebody said that every man writes two books. One book contains his dreams and the other book contains the actuality, what he actually does. I'm, let me tell you, I'm not the preacher I dreamed I would be, I thought I would be. I, I, thought, I thought I'd be Billy Graham, just to be honest with you. <laughs> 
and I actually I surrendered to be Billy Graham. And and Lord knows I'm not, but but I I I wanted I want to be. See, I'm not the husband that I really thought I would be. I'm not the father I want to be. I really am not. As a matter of fact, I'm not the person that I wish I were. I'm, I'm impatient. I, this week I had to ask a guy to forgive me for being, for being impatient. I mean, everything has to be perfect for me, so when the speaker don't work, I get you know all uptight. I, I'm sorry for that. I am. I, I, I'm not the person I ought to be. And, and when, when that happens, we get feeling guilty. I feel so guilty about that that I'm not what I really want to be. I'm not even what I know I ought to be. But I can, I believe this, I believe I can stand before God as my judge and say, to, and say and know that it's true that my heart is there for me to be better than I am. A guy came into my office one day and he, he was so emotional he couldn't even talk. He, he was having trouble with his son. And after he could finally kind of got, a control, got control of himself and, and he said, preacher, he said, I'm such a failure as a father. And I said, I don't want to hear you say that again. You're not perfect, I don't guess, because I've never seen it. I'm not perfect and I don't guess I've ever seen perfection. I wouldn't know it if I ran into it on the street. But I got a feeling you're not perfect, neither am I. But I want you to know that God doesn't judge you on the accomplishment of your hands. He judges you on the basis of the intent of your heart. And I want you to know, this is me still talking to him, I, I want you to know that I, I know your heart and I know God knows you. I think I know your heart and I know God knows your heart and I know you to be a man whose deepest desire is to be the best father that boy could ever have. Now, I'm telling you, it's good news to know that God doesn't judge us on the basis of the accomplishment of our hands but on the intention of our heart. You need to remember that. Third, you need to remember that when God, said, when God says no, He doesn't say no to deprive us of some blessing. He says no to allow us to have a greater one. Now, if, there was one, if there's one thing I wish this congregation could get from what I try to do here as your pastor, it'd be this, one thing. If, if, you could, if somebody said to me, what, what would you say in one sentence you'd like for your people to learn from you more than anything? It would be this, that God is good when it doesn't look like it. I, I really believe if we could get a handle on that, if we could get a hold of that, or if that could get a hold of us, that God is good even when it doesn't look like it, we could, we'd, have it we'd have a real step on the road to the maturing of our Christian faith. He is good. He withholds no good thing from His people. He's good even though it doesn't look like um, Chuck Swindoll, who was pastor out in California, said that he, he had this lady in his church, had this brain-damaged child, spastic, couldn't talk, but could sing. I mean, could carry a tune, one up on me, could carry a tune. You couldn't understand the words, but you could tell the song. And said, this lady was just, it said, one morning she got to church real early and one of his associates was there and, and, and she had taken this child to this special ed class they were having at the church. Wasn't anybody there, so she's just kind of waiting in there until people got there. And he passed down the hall and heard her. 
And she's in there, had her little child on her shoulder, child's head bobbing, couldn't, you know, hold his head upright. And she was singing, and a little kid was singing along with her, God is so good. He's so good to me. Let me tell you something I want you to get. If God takes something out of this hand, it's because He wants to put something in this hand that's better. If God takes something out of this hand, it's because He wants to put something better in this one. Now I want you to look back to this 1 Chronicles 17 passage. Now, God knows that, God knows that when, he, when we don't get the yes answer to prayer, we're going to whine and complain about it, doesn't he? That's, that's kind of, here's the paraphrase, kind of in the margins. God said to, to, to Nathan, he said, now when David gets to whining and complaining about the fact he's not going to get to build a temple, I want you to tell him something. I want you to tell him this. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, when he gets whimpering around about the fact he's not going to get his dream fulfilled, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be leader over my people Israel. When he gets to whining and complaining like we do, you just remind David where he was when I found him. He's out in the sheep pasture. You just remind David, you just ask him, where were you when God found you? Out there in the sheep, you know, dodging all those things that are out there in sheep pasture. And uh, you just remind him where he was. And he said, and I have been with you wherever you've gone, have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I'll make you a name like the name of all the great ones who are in the earth. You just remind David that he, where he was when I found him, and just let him, you know, remind him that, that everything he has, I've given him. And ask him this question, where would you be if it weren't for God? God ever have to ask you that? You get to whining and complaining, God comes to you and says, where were you, boy, when I found you? See, Sometimes God has to remind us of the pit from which we've been digged. The convention meets this week in San Antonio. Sixteen years ago, the convention met in St. Louis. And we decided we'd take our kids out there with us. The worst mistake. <laughs> and, and, and Todd was about this tall, and Cindy was about this tall, and they had this terrible sibling rivalry. And we were going to take them to the convention and, you know, take a little family outing. Oh, I, you know, I was going to some of the meetings, you know, but we're going to go there. And so... On the way, they wanted us to stay in some hotel that had an indoor swimming pool. So we, we paid twice as much, you know, to stay in one of these big hotels in downtown St. Louis so they could have an indoor swimming pool. Twice as much as Motel 6. <laughs> and and they, they had the light on for us. And I, I saw it, you know, when we went by on our way down, we got us one of these big fancy hotels. And, and we just tried to entertain them, and we took them into the great arch of the West, you know, in St. Louis. You see, you get up in the top of that, and the St. Louis Cardinals were having a ball game. Yeah, it was during one of the meetings, but we, you know, we, 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 we went out to the ball game. We just took them around, and, and we saw in this uh, brochure we had of St. Louis that they had one of these fishing places where you could go, and they had these places to fish, and you, you could fish and pay by the inch. So Todd never been fishing. So we, we took them, I mean, we went around the world looking for that place, 
finally found it. Just as we got our hook wet, it came up a thunderstorm and it closed the place down. We had to leave. I told them, I said, we'll come back before we leave. You'll tell them anything, you know, get them quiet. I said, we'll come back before we leave St. Louis and we'll, we'll go fishing there just to get them quiet. And I'm telling you, it was, it was a nightmare. They even argued about, you know, whose, whose time it was to push the elevator button, you know. I mean, and, and we'd get into these meetings and we'd be there about 10 minutes and they'd start whining about, you know, tired and they wanted to leave. So about a day before the convention was over, I said, I'm, Margaret, we're getting out of here. We're going home. I, I can't stand this any longer. I mean, I'm, out, I'm up to here. So we were about 10 miles out of, out of St. Louis, and I heard this whimper in the back seat. It back. And I said, what's, what's wrong? What's the matter? Old Todd said, I didn't get to go fishing. <laughs> and I said, what did you say? He said, I ain't get to go fishing. And I said, look at here. I said, I paid $500 for you to stay in a hotel that had an indoor swimming pool. I, I've been up in the arches of the, of the west, sweltering heat and humidity. And I, I've taken you to a ball game and I've listened to you whimper and whine and you want to go fishing. And I said, Besides, besides all that, I haven't heard one thank you from you. That was what was bothering me the most. I, I, you, you hadn't even said thank you, not one time. I said, all this I've done, and you haven't even expressed one word of appreciation. Boy, it hit the ceiling. Well, I was talking to my mother about that. You know, you run to mama, and you tell mama. I said, <laughs> And my mother said, she said, Gerald, I'm sure glad you took Todd and Cindy to the convention. It'll be something they'll never forget. And I said, they may forget it, but I guarantee you I'll never forget it. That's indelibly impressed. And I told her what happened. This is why she said, remember Gerald. He's just a kid. And there have been times, you know, when I just whimper, you know, to the Lord, I ain't get to go fishing. Just like a kid. That's, yeah, you do it. You do it. And God just has to remind me again and again, look, boy, where would you be without me? Where, where were you when I found you in the first place? And not one word of thank you. And he wants us to have the blessing of reassurance. Here's old David. He's saying, what can I build as a lasting memorial to God? I know what I'll do. I'll build a temple. That won't last. As a matter of fact, there have been three temples built. None of them lasted. You go to Jerusalem right now. Some of you have been there. All just a couple of big old stones out there. Temple's gone. You know what's there? A, a, an Arab, a Muslim mosque. And... and and he said, I'll just build me a temple and that'll last from now on. No, God. And, and the, the marvelous thing, you read this passage. I, I don't have time to read it on down. Verses 9 through 12. He said, I'll tell you what, David. I'm going to take this out of your hand, but I'm going to put something in this hand that's better. I'm going to let you leave something behind that really will last. Now, temples will fade away and they'll grind up into dust, but... I'm going to do something better. In fact, he said, you want to build me a house? David, I'm going to build you one. 
I'm going to build you one. I'm going to let you leave some behind that's going to last forever. And, and he did. Did he write the Psalms? Heaven and earth will pass away. The Word of God will abide forever. How many times have you quoted Psalm 23? I'm going to let you leave something behind that's really lasting. And, and he did. It, wasn't, it called, wasn't, it, wasn't it somewhere I read is called the seed of David. He said, out of your loins, I'm going to leave something behind. And, and you're not going to build it, but your son is. I'm constantly amazed at how good God has been to me. He has given me the desire of my heart. And if I had to sit down this morning and write out those things that I would need from God to be happy, I, I couldn't think of a thing. I'm, I'm serious. I wouldn't be able to think of a thing. But I do have a son. His name's Todd. And if there's one thing that God could do for me that would make me happier than I am now, it would be that he would honor my son. He would honor my son. Out of college, brand new job. And if God said to me today, Gerald, I want, I've got this honor for you. But I'll tell you what, I'll give this honor to you or I'll save it and I'll give it to your son. I, you know how long it'd take me to choose about that long? And I'd say to him, the best thing you could do for me is to give that honor to my son. When God takes something out of this hand, it's so he can put something better in this hand. You need to remember that. Just before my mother died, this kind of a reminiscence time this morning, I'm sorry. About a year before her death, she almost, she lost most of her mind. Could recollect very little. Sometimes knew me, sometimes thought I was my brother. Boy, I got some real insight into, into what she thought of me, listening to her tell my brother about me. That, that, that's a... And I remember one day, you know, before her death, I went home to see her, and I thought maybe she'd like to get out of the house a little, and so we got her in the car, and I was taking her on a little ride. Went past where my old high school used to be. I, I didn't even know they'd torn it down. That's how often I got back to look at that. And I said, well, good night. They, they tore the high school down. They built another school. And, and I said, I, I'll tell you what, I, I wonder if I can go out there and get a brick. You know, they had the old bricks. I was going to get me a brick. Still got it. It's what she said. We have a lot of precious memories, don't we, son? I said, yeah, we do. And you know, when she began to name those precious memories, she began to talk about me. Now, I know that I'm not what she thinks I, she thought I was. I promise you that. And, 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 and she said, you know, your daddy and I didn't have a whole lot but we sure are proud that we left behind a son in a ministry, see? And then she'd say, precious memories, how they linger, how they ever flood my soul. She repeated it about 1,500 times like she did. 
And I thought, yeah, I guess the best thing we could leave behind is a son that's honored and blessed. You need to remember that when you can't forget. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us today. And we thank you that you have so many greater things for us than we could ever imagine. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered the mind of man, the glorious things that God has prepared for those who fear him. I pray, Father, that we will indeed enjoy your very best. Speak to our heart today with regard to our decision, because I pray in Jesus' name. Now, would you look here? I want to give an invitation this morning. There are three kinds of invitations. An invitation to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Some of you made decisions in Bible school. Seventeen precious children invited Jesus into their hearts. Some go to other churches, and we encourage them to be in their own church today to make that decision there. But some of you need to come today to make your decision public so that our church can rejoice with you and pray for you so you can be a part of our fellowship. Others who need to come this morning to say, I want Jesus as my Savior, and I want to claim Him. I want to receive His gift of eternal life just by faith, simply trusting. There may be some this morning who need to come and join this church. You want to put your life here. You come by the statement of your baptism or by the promise of your letter. You don't understand those terms. We'll explain it to you. There may, may, may need to be some who will need to come today just to rededicate their life to Jesus Christ. Claim His promise. Renew their vow to Him. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.